Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. The developing field of science called the science of memetics is based on evolution. It studies memes, how they interact, replicate, and evolve. The biological definition of a meme is a basic unit of cultural transmission. The psychological definition of a meme is a unit of cultural heredity analogous to the gene, the internal representation of knowledge. A working definition of a meme is a unit of information in a mind whose existence influences events such that more copies of it are created in other minds. The Virus of the Mind is a book devoted to the study of memetics and memes and was written by Richard Brody, who was also a writer of the first version of Microsoft Word. Richard Brody was our guest for this edition of Radio Curious that was originally broadcast in July of 1996. We began our conversation when I asked Richard Brody, what is the importance of studying memetics? Well, it's very interesting because when, when new sciences come out, uh, like, like uh, chaos theory and uh, some of the, the work in quantum electrodynamics, uh, they're typically only interesting to, to two groups of people, scientists who, who make that their career, and the, the real intellectually curious who just love to understand how things work. Now, memetics certainly appeals to, to both of those groups, but the interesting thing about, about memetics is that it really affects everybody in, in, in everybody's everyday life because memetics is the science of how ideas spread. And in fact, it's the science of how your mind gets its programming. Uh, if you look at your, your mind as hardware plus software, the hardware that you get from, from genetics and the, the software that you get from somewhere else, Memetics is the study of where that software comes from, how, how and why you think what you do. And it, it's, it's a very shocking concept at first for most people. How do we go about studying memetics? Well, that is a great question. And in fact, the answer to that is we have been studying it without knowing it for a little over a century. Certainly, um, all of psychology is an attempt to study that same thing. And what's happened is a lot of different disciplines have sprung up and they're now converging. Cognitive science, in which we attempt to understand how thinking works and perhaps uh, build computing machines that can, can think like us, uh, psychology certainly, and biology is now converging. In, in particular, Darwin's theory of evolution. Um, about 20 years ago, an Oxford zoologist named Richard Dawkins uh, applied Darwin's theory. He said, what if, what if Darwin's theory of natural selection were applied not just to, to biological creatures like animals and insects and plants and so on, but also to cultures? Well, this is something that people had attempted to do right in the days of Darwin, but they did it wrong, and they, they came up with a very uh, bad uh, concept called social Darwinism, which attempted to justify uh, conquest of cultures by saying that might makes right and natural selection would take care of it. Of course, that's completely wrong. But what, what Dawkins said was, well, we know that there's this, this DNA that is, 
that, that directs biological evolution, what is there? What is, what is that, that it's like a gene, um, but for culture, for human cultures? That, that and, directs uh, cultural uh, evolution in one's mind or in the minds of groups of people. Exactly. And, and, and he came up with the idea uh, that it, it's something called a meme, M-E-M-E. And the meme is the DNA of human society, if you will. It's, they're, they're little pieces of, of programming or conditioning that, that spread. And, you know, you, you ever wonder, you have a good idea or you see a good idea and wonder why it doesn't spread? And uh, then you see uh, something like uh, Beavis and Butthead all over the place. Right. You know, it, it turns out that when we study memetics, we, we realize something you've probably known all along, which is that ideas don't spread necessarily because they're good ideas. There's a vehicle that moves them or that transports them. Well, yes, and those are viruses of the mind. And so we're, we're actually learning a lot about different ways that ideas spread. And viruses of the mind are, are one such way. And a virus of the mind is, uh, is anything that spreads ideas to people. So, for instance, a very simple and relatively harmless virus of the mind would be a chain letter. Uh, people would see the chain letter, and some percentage of them would feel compelled uh, by the message in the letter to go out and make copies of it and send them out. And, of course, the, the chain letters that are ineffective die out quickly. But there have been ones, I mean, I'm sure you've seen ones, uh, probably yeah. when you were a kid and you see them every couple of years, it's like the same sort of thing. And they tend to have very similar characteristics. And those characteristics are that they push people's buttons. They push people's evolutionary buttons. In other words, we are, we are forced by our nature to pay attention to things. And sometimes the things we're forced to pay attention to are really dumb in today's society. I want to ask you about that, Richard. Uh, what is that force that compels us to pay attention to these issues? Well, that is a great question. That, in fact, is a whole field of science. It's kind of a subfield of memetics called evolutionary psychology. And what is evolutionary psychology? Well, it says you, your mind, our minds, work the way they do because that is what created re reproductive success back in the, the prehistoric era. In other words, back during the days of evolution. And, you know, we are the product of, uh, of an unbroken string of ancestors, all of whom were successful at reproducing. You look back, there's not a single one of your ancestors that was unsuccessful at reproducing. That's right. That's right. So, There'd be a break in the chain. Right. It, it, it can't happen. So many times we don't realize how important we like to think of ourselves as civilized, cultured beings, and yet, if any one of our ancestors had not been successful at reproducing, that we would not be here. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's a very interesting uh, um, conflict between our rational minds and this animal nature, which, which by the unbroken chain of evolution is forced to exist. So evolutionary psychology says, well, what tendencies, what instincts in people's minds made this reproductive success back in the Stone Age? And it turns out we, we, we pay attention to things that we perhaps ought not to in today's society. And just understanding how that hardware works makes it much easier to overcome it and get on with your life. Uh, for instance, 
the, the whole business of sexual stereotyping. Well, there was a movement uh, in the late 60s and 70s and continues um, to kind of uh, imagine that there are no differences in the, in the brains, in the minds, in the psychologies of males and females. Well, it turns out that's wrong. In fact, there are very significant differences, and they vary from individual to individual, but there are differences, and you can see them in, in other animals, and you can see them, you can predict them by studying evolutionary psychology. You can see that, that males' reproductive success was dependent more on spreading, uh, or increasing the number of mating opportunities. So for, for a male to spread genes, uh, the number of mating opportunities was a very important factor. For females, it was much more important to make sure that the offspring were going to be taken care of. And so they would be more interested in, in the security and the strength uh, and the, the trustworthiness of a mate. And you can see that in what we consider sexual stereotypes today, but um, there, there is definitely a thread of truth in the stereotype. And so understanding evolutionary psychology can let us see the, the, what's real and what's, what's just uh, manipulative about that sexual stereotyping. So if we, if we accept the sexual stereotyping as, as a uh, given, uh, then if we move into the almost 21st century form of advertising, uh, we have a subconscious given and an overlay of a commercial aspect, which is programming us. We do. We have, um, we have our hardware. And so the evolutionary psychology dictates our hardware. Uh, we, for another thing, we pay much more attention to fear than we ought to. Because, well, when, when people paid attention to scary things back in the Stone Age, they lived. You know? and, and people who ignored the fact that there's a, a tiger uh, in the cave would uh, get killed. So, so back then, these fears were real fears. They're real physical dangers. Today, we don't have a lot of physical dangers, but we, we still are just as scared of what we consider cultural dangers. Like, people are, are scared to go in and ask their boss for the raise. Well, you know, the boss isn't going to kill you. <laughs> but we're, we're just as scared of that situation as we would be uh, if there was a tiger in the cave. And or, that's because this hardware, this hardware is just kind of running amok. Or people are uh, afraid to ask a person uh, to accompany them to a party. Uh, That's right. A dating situation. Right, because back in the, in the old days, in, in prehistory, status was such an important thing, and you lived in such a small community that a, a, a social blunder could like, ruin you for life. It, it really could. In today's big cities, you, know, you, you, you could go never meeting the same person twice, and a social blunder wouldn't, wouldn't do anything. And so people who are in sales, people who, uh, who want to meet, others network themselves, uh, they have to get over that hardware and constantly get over it because the, the, the mind is sending us signals that aren't real in today's society. These are leftovers from the Stone Age, but we're stuck with them. Well, are you implying then that social status is uh, something that has been ingrained in our species so, for such a long period of time that it is actually um, in our uh, cerebral hardware? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that uh, the, the status instinct, you'll see it. You can tell by looking at animals that don't have consciousness. They know all about status. You look at, at primates, at baboons, at, at chimpanzees, some of the primates who are closest to us, you'll see that status is everything. And they're not like reading 
philosophy texts about status. <laughs> this is all instinctive for them. And we have the same, the same kind of hardware. And you can just see, look on television, and everything that's not about danger, food, and sex is about celebrities. And it's because we are just wired to pay attention to these celebrities, to the people at the top of the pecking order. And why? Because, oh, they, because there's so many reasons. Back in the Stone Age, you know, the, the alpha person, the, the person at the top of the pecking order, they controlled all the power. They controlled access to, to mating. They controlled the food. And if you would watch them carefully and, and notice a weakness in them, then maybe you can move up your status. And that's why we're, we have this, this instinct to tear down uh, celebrities as soon as we start seeing weakness in them. And it's just it's something that's very predictable, and you can almost laugh at it if you start noticing it, but it's really it's a very predictable hardware phenomenon that people have. When you mention that uh, there, uh, or make reference to the animals that do not have consciousness, mm -hmm. uh, do you imply that they do not uh, have or are not susceptible to mind viruses as our species is, since we have consciousness? Well, I don't think they, they real, that mind viruses are too much of a factor uh, in, in other animals. And you, you, you can see there's not very much difference in the behavior of different societies of, of baboons, for instance. You study one pack of baboons, they're, they're much like another pack of baboons, because they don't have this culture overlaid on top. What takes you know, it takes a lot of infrastructure to make a virus of the mind. It takes um, language. It takes printed materials. It takes buildings. It takes television. I mean, television is the prime breeding ground, or at least it was up until now when we have the Internet, but it was the prime breeding ground for a virus of the mind because the, the evolution works so quickly on television. It's all driven by ratings. If you have something that people are not paying attention to, it's canceled immediately. Before television, what did we have? We had, you know, books. We had a book. If a book sells 10,000 copies in a week, it's on the bestseller list. So number one on the bestseller list, maybe. Uh, if, if a million people watch a television program one week, it's canceled the next day. That's not enough. So television is this incredibly efficient breeding ground for memes because if people aren't paying attention, things get weeded out instantly and replaced by something else. So then the Internet is uh, much more of a grassroots opportunity to create memes and to spread mind viruses because so many pe more people have access to it. Oh, and the Internet, it's absolutely incredible. The, you could have a billion different minds putting things out and the, the, the capability for something that presses the right buttons to start getting millions of hits, you know. So we used to, with television, you'd have a, a couple of dozen minds or, you know, sources spreading broadcasting. We have the word broadcasting because that's really what they're doing. They're, they're casting these memes very broadly from a few to the multitudes. With the web, for the first time, we have the ability for the, the billions to cast their memes out to the billions and see what evolves to be paid attention to. And so I expect a huge increase. You know, there's already a, a, about 11 cults, religious cults, on the Internet, just on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the religious cults will be evolving faster. These other kinds of mind viruses, multi-level marketing will become huge uh, on the Internet. It, it really has already. Uh, and chain letters you're already seeing, hoaxes, other kinds of mind viruses. Uh, the, you know, there's, a, uh, there, there's an email virus on the Internet. It's called Good Times. 
and people receive this uh, email. It's a warning. It says um, if if you receive a, an email with the heading "Good Times," don't read it because it's going to destroy your computer. Well, you know, any savvy computer user knows that just reading an email message can't do anything to your computer. But the real virus of the mind is the warning message, because people read it. It pushes their buttons. They want to help others. They want to uh, alert people to this crisis, and they spread it. And so this thing has been around for years and years and years. It pops up every few months, and it's another very simple, relatively harmless virus of the mind on the Internet. I want to take a moment and say that my guest this week is Richard Brody, the author of a fascinating new book called Virus of the Mind that studies a science of memetics and memes. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Richard, uh, let's talk for a moment about what kind of things push people's buttons, whether they are on the Internet or whether they are just in... Uh, hearing other people speak while you're riding an elevator. Well, there are a lot of things. If you look on the cover of my book, I've, I've put uh, an image on the cover. It's a syringe uh, injecting memes into a, into a brain. And the memes are all these recognizable corporate logos and so on. Well, why did I put that on the cover? Uh, you know, this is, this is uh, people might expect some kind of a scholarly cover for a, 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 the first book on a new science. And it was, well, it's because people pay attention to these things. It's, it's scary to have a syringe injecting into a brain. And this fear, as we talked about, is one of the big button pushers. You can scare people, you know, and that's why when you watch television and you watch the news, they're not talking about who sold the most Girl Scout cookies. They're talking about scary things. They're talking about planes exploding in midair, you know, bombs going off, and, and prisoners and convicted sex offenders living in your neighborhood. And, you know, it's so, if you watched nothing but television, you would get the impression that it is unsafe to leave your house. When in reality, you know, if you run the statistics, you have a one in a million chance of being affected by anything like this. You're much more likely to, to be killed in an automobile accident. It's just not, it's really nothing to, to worry about for the most part. Uh, but the, the, they push our buttons. Sex, of course, is another big thing that pu pushes our buttons. Everybody knows sex sells. If you watch beer commercials, you know, they're not selling beer anymore. They're selling sex, and this is, this is nothing new. But the advertisers have known how to push these buttons for a long time. Now, now you have people really putting together the whole science of memetics and, and creating these designer viruses that it's very, very scary. Uh, uh, food is another one. You see a lot of food, um, uh, commercials for food, for dieting. Uh, that, that It's something we've always been concerned with through, throughout history is, is food. And, of course, you have to be concerned with food or you die. But Americans in particular, in our culture that's so television-driven, we are obsessed with food. You know, I, I just saw this commercial the other night on uh, watching the Olympics. I don't watch much TV, but I was watching the Olympics, and apparently they're 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 showing these three gorgeous women uh, playing poker or something and stuffing their faces with these supposedly healthy, low-fat potato chips. It's it's just incredible. They're they're selling all these things uh, by combining danger, food, and sex, and those are the big three push buttons. If you go next time you go out and watch television, I guarantee you, watch it for an hour, you'll see a hundred images of danger, food, and sex. What's and, it doing to your mind? And those are the uh, same images that uh, go back into the Stone Age. Yeah, that's they're they're 
they, the advertisers have, by trial and error, found our push buttons. Now, the new science of evolutionary psychology, we don't have it by trial and error really anymore. We kind of understand the rationale. We understand why those are our push buttons. And we are forced to pay attention. And this is why I don't watch much TV anymore, because, you know, you turn it on, and you, you can't not watch it. it just, you just kind of sit there with your mouth open, and within a few seconds, your brain goes into this hypnotic state, and, and you just accept whatever memes they throw at you. And, and become mesmerized. You, you become mesmerized or hypnotized or in a trance state. And, uh, you know, this has been documented with machines hooked up to measure people's brain waves, and you really do. And then once you watch these things, you, you may think you have the ability to pick and choose, to filter out, but you really don't. If an image, if a meme hits you about seven times, you're pretty much stuck with it. You cannot shut it out. Could you erase the memory of O.J.'s face? You know, I, I don't think there's, there's, there's very few people in the country who could erase that image of O.J.'s face from, from their heads. We've seen so many images of O.J. and, and everything. And, you know, who, who doesn't know sure. what the Coke logo looks like? Well, Richard, then what is your opinion of the effect that the memes that uh, television uh, brings into people's minds has on the minds of people, and, and particularly children who watch so much television on a regular basis? Well, this, I hate to sound like, like Bob Dole. <laughs> I really hate to sound like Bob Dole. But, um, you know, television, uh, people in the media rightly, I think, say that what they're doing is reflecting uh, society they're not uh you know responsible for it they're 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 reflecting it and they are reflecting it but they're reflecting it like a lens reflects like like if you you know those old things back when we used to have the meme that the sun was good for you and now we have the meme that the sun's bad for you but the, we used to have the meme the sun's good for you people used to reflect the sun back into their faces to to get their to a better tan and uh that's really what happens with the media. Even if they are reflecting society, they're focusing it back into people. And there have been documented studies showing that, for instance, when there's a big uh, media story about suicide, that there's a blip in suicides, and you know, extra people commit suicide because the media carried that story. And I, um, uh, no one is a bigger believer in freedom of the press than I am. And yet, as somebody, who, as a writer, as as a communicator. You have to be responsible for the memes you're spreading. And without understanding memetics, you don't really get the, the impact. Every time you open your mouth, you are spreading memes into other people's heads. What memes do you want to spread? And that's the question that the people in charge of TV have to be asking themselves. Do they really want to be spreading memes about uh, how to build pipe bombs and, and showing scenes of people spraying uh, gasoline flames into uh, subway booths to, to kill the operator. And, you know, the, the, these things that we've talked about, things that Bob Dole has been talking about, um, the people spreading these memes really have to understand they are having an effect. And you're talking now to uh, the people who determine what is on news on television. Uh, I'm talking now to... I don't understand it. Well, well, the people, uh, the people who spread these memes. Oh yeah, are my message are, are it, the news editors. It's for the news editors and for mm -hmm. the. It's not just news though. It's it's the entertainment editors as well. It's the people. It's the the movie producers and directors. It's uh, it's it's the advertisers. Well then, Richard, how does a person um, uh, resist? 
these um, memes to which we're so susceptible, and when we find something like, that is shown us, like the examples you give of a pipe bomb or a gasoline in a subway, yeah. uh, how do we resist internalizing those? Things? Well, I do it by turning off the television and playing Scrabble. But uh, if you really have to watch television, you, you really can't resist it. It, it. it just kind of happens. Repetition, you know, it, we've known since Pavlov that repetition is one of the best ways of programming people. And so if you watch something over and over again, you will get infected. And there's really nothing you can do about it. Uh, but I don't advocate living as a hermit. I think really if you understand mimetics, if you understand the different topics um, and, and it's really a fairly complex science. Uh, but there's really there's four parts to it. There's the evolutionary psychology. There's understanding about viruses and self-replication. There's understanding what a meme is. And then there's understanding Darwinian evolution. And those are all fairly complex, abstract concepts for people to understand. But if you do understand it, you are, are well-armed well-armed against the increasing amount of manipulation that's going on. Because advertisers are not going to be happy with just pushing your buttons. They have started to release actual mind viruses so that you will be programmed to go out and spread uh, the virus to other people. And it's a very efficient use of their advertising money because you're doing their work for them. Richard, let's talk about astrology. It's uh, much more benign than astrophysics and uh, much easier to understand, yet it's still uh, a very pervasive mind virus. Well, it's a perfect example of how the, the memes that serve, we like to think, you know, even people who, who understand Darwinism, understand evolution, they somehow think that natural selection means that things will evolve to be good. <laughs> that's not what natural selection <laughs> means. I mean, that's what the social Darwinists thought. Natural selection means people, things evolve because things are good at evolving. It's really kind of a meaningless thing. So one of the ways things are good at evolving is if, if they're very easily understood. Now, astrology is something that's very easily understood. All you have to know is what sign you are, and then, you know, you read your horoscope, and it tells you what to do. Well, I mean, I don't know if astrology is a crock. I think it's a crock. Mm -hmm. I, I think it is. But I do know that it, as a meme, it has the right ingredients to spread more so than memes that are more, more probably true, like astrophysics. And if you don't believe me, open up your Sunday paper and tell me, is there an astrophysics column or is there an astrology column? Right. <laughs> well, Richard Brody, I want to thank you very much for joining us here on Radio Curious. And I'd like to ask you the question that I ask ask all of my guests at uh, this time in an interview, and that is, could you please tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately? An interesting book that I've read lately, other than mine, huh? Yes. The, okay. Uh, you wrote yours. I wrote mine. The uh, interesting book that I've read lately is uh, a book called The Lucifer Principle by Howard Bloom, and it is, it's another book about memes and about evolutionary psychology. And he shows how uh, there's this pretty base instinct in all of us to uh, the, it's the us versus them instinct and how it's, it keeps coming up to bite us. It's a very interesting book. Well, Richard Brody, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. It's my pleasure, Barry. Richard Brody is the author of The Virus of the Mind. The book that he recommends is The Lucifer Principle, 
The Scientific Expedition into the Forces of History by Howard Bloom. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org. And I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707 621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.